This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. Fordham professor Robin Anderson recently returned from Curacao. Curacao. Well, the island is a top vacation destination, a place known for the festive season of Carnival, and even was the film location for the Johnny Depp Orlando Bloom film Pirates of the Caribbean. But Robin Anderson discovered something else on her trip, a very rich and diverse culture. Welcome, Robin. Oh, thanks. It's great to be here. Now, first, give me a brief history of the island. It was part of the Dutch Antilles, um, so it was originally a Dutch colony. And uh, just recently, in um, 2010, became independent, an independent constituent country of the Kingdom of the Netherlands. It's a kind of exciting time to be there. Um, it's independent now. And uh, of course, it was exciting to be there because there were preparations for Carnival and all kinds of other things. And now you were telling me, every, usually we hear it pronounced Caraco, but that's incorrect. Right. Um, it's a gem of an island, but it's not really known so much to an American audience. So um, we have different ways of pronouncing it, but the, the right way is Curacao. Okay. And you went on this trip. Why did you end up in this beautiful place? Robin, it's kind of uh, circuitous. I, um, I'm doing research on ecotourism, especially wildlife encounters, and with marine mammals, which in includes swimming with dolphins, really kind of fun things like that. And you may say this this is research, but you know, somebody's got to do it. Oh, hard, hard work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My research partner actually is an animal behaviorist and graduated from the biology department here. She has a contract on the Fromers, some of the Fromers Caribbean guides. And so I went there actually writing up Curacao for the Fromers portable ABC. And the ABC is Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. Okay, and you got the C of it, or did you do all three? I just did Coruscant. Okay, you did Coruscant. I, I mean, didn't want to hog all the rest of the islands. <laughs> <laughs> leave, leave that for somebody else right, right. now. Right. So um, once you traveled there, did you get to take part of Carnival, first of all, because that's what a lot of people know Coruscant for, correct? Yes, but because it carries on from, say, uh, January 8th right through the middle of March. They have all this uh, activities around the tumba festival and who's going to who's going to be the main character singing the tumba in the main carnival now what's the tumba the tumba is a music particular to aruba and curacao it's of course an african beat it came in in the 17th century and right now it's kind of mixed with latin jazz and marengo wonderful kind of carnival music so what were some of your favorite highlights of your trip I um, loved meeting all of the people. It's such a diverse culture. Sadly, this the whole history of these islands, as you know, in the Caribbean is, is fraught with some kind of pretty dramatic histories of having the native populations wiped out because of that kind of rich history. But Curacao, you add that Shell Oil went in in 1950 and pa made one of the biggest uh, oil refineries in the Caribbean at that time, which brought a whole nother wave of international workers in from Latin America, from Brazil. Uh, and you mix all of that together, and you've got basically people from 50 different countries. Uh, an incredible language, Copapamiento, which is a combination of, of French, Portuguese, Spanish, Dutch, English, with African-American linguistic aspects in it, um, which is phenomenal to hear. And um, what the oil company did do is provide jobs, I think, at a time that got the country out of the legacy of sharecropping. Uh, it's 
very well-off country, really. Um, the the islanders go to Holland to be educated. They they all can have a free college education. So everybody's fluent in many languages. They're friendly, um, and they have a standard of living that's very high for a tourist destination, really. And you were able to see sides of the island that just a normal tourist might not have been able to because of your experience as a travel writer. Right. Okay. So let's talk about some of the people that you got an opportunity to meet on your trip to Coruscant. There was this uh, herbalist who I found pretty interesting when I was listening to your audio. Tell me about her. What was her name? That's right. Dina Veras. Mm -hmm. And she had this wonderful shop in, in a garden and she had about 300 plants, and she basically dedicated her life to doing research on, again, the diversity of all the knowledge of the islanders. You know, my mother had a small garden full of herbs. In the beginning, I did not have any interest um, of, of, of plants. And then I saw that she was becoming old, and I started to learn. And then I saw how much knowledge there was. So I started to learn from 20 elderly people for five years from Aruba, Bonaire, and Curaçao, trying to learn all the medicinal uses and how formerly they used to make their syrups, their ointments, their oils. And then I quit my job and started the garden because I saw that we were losing a lot of information, a lot of uh, knowledge, and we were cutting trees without knowing uh, the, uh, the, the, the medicinal uses. So it took me all, all again, like four years to bring plants from all over the island and planting the herb garden. So in the garden we have now more than 300 species of, of herbal, of herbal plants, and so people come and they visit the garden and we talk about our, you know, the medicinal purposes, but also about the culture, about um, the the past, how people used to live formerly on the land. She'd been educated in California. She does international speaking tours uh, to talk about uh, the folklore of of natural remedies and how um, medicines uh, originally came from plants. When I go to um, to an the international herbal conference, then I I talk about the the older way of of using herbs and here on the islands, and so the traditions of of, of the islands, and when I go to the to the an herbal and women conference, then I talk a lot about um, and women, how we have, what, what herbs we can use for, for babies, like Mala Madre, we use um, scupet, Yerba di Sali, and those are herbs that cleanse the, cleanse the uterus, sometimes, sometimes giving the female hormones, and also when there is menopause, we use herbs for, you know, uh, giving the oestrogen, bring the oestrogen up, so we use, we use herbs for that. Yes, I mean, uh, I think biologists and chemists know that there are powerful uh, chemicals in herbs and plants and botanicals, and sometimes they can even be poisonous to humans. How I think sometimes people may be a little bit fra- afraid of, uh, of botanicals. How do you uh, know which things not to use and counsel when things might be dangerous? Uh, I, I depend on on what I've been learning from the elderly people because um, they use the herbs with very much respect and it's from the generation to generation. I mean, if you see in the Bible, you can already 
and read about herbs that, that, that people were using. And when you see in history, you can see there were times that herbs, using herbs was very high, you know, and, and nowadays we went to, to medicine and um, I believe that is good, but I believe that medicine are all have also a very high and side effects that we have, we can see now all the effects that, that medicine can give. I believe that we have to know which herbs we use and the amount that we have to use and that we are sure that we don't use herbs that, that are poisoning. And there are herbs that when you use a small bit, it's good. When you use an amount, it's poisoning. Mm -hmm. I'm, I believe that the knowledge must be given on a good way, and then there is no problem. Now, Robin, when you were speaking with the herbalist, uh, she gave you a recipe, so to speak, for something that I've never had, cactus. Cactus soup, and it came out when she was telling us about one of the local cactus. There are many local things uh, on the island, and you know, in her garden we were there, and she was showing us a way to harvest the cactus with this special tool. When you come to visit a garden, and we have this tree in the garden, we give you a piece, you know you're welcome. You're going to stay to eat. Then you prepare yourself for your food. You make a toothbrush. And it's also very normal to talk with a stick in the mouth. You see that women can gossip very good with this. And then after eating, you clean your teeth. Everybody was sitting cleaning the teeth. And what's the name of it? Stocky. Stocky. Stick. Translated stick. And when they finished, they put it behind the ear for later. You know, my mother, until nine years old, she hadn't seen a toothbrush. Is this what grandmother bought? And this is what the children um, clean their teeth. At night, they put it in a glass of water. The next morning, they have the toothbrush for brushing, for brushing the teeth. You know, I love these stories. <laughs> yeah, I do also. So here we have the edible cactus and the not edible cactus, the datu and the kadushi. You can see the difference in, in color, in the way they grow. These grow one by one. And so this is for making hedges. All the hedges made on the island is made from, from the datu. The kadushi is edible. You know, we go to the mountains with our sticks, the chi and the cha. The chi represents the man. He goes in front, he pushes. The cha is the woman who's supposed to help him. So you take this home. You take off the thorns very quickly with a knife and you put the slices on a stone, you beat it, you get a slimy green mesh. You cook your water, you throw it, and that's the soup you make. And you stir the soup with the lele from the lele tree. That's how you make the, the cactus soup. The cactus is very good for the intestines to stay young, you know, and that's why it's our local dish on, 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 the, on the island. The cactus, when it come, becomes older, it will become very hard wood, hollow inside. So formerly people used to make the roofs of, for their houses, beds to sleep on, boxes, spoons, rain sticks, was all, all made by, by the cactus. You see, this is cactus, hardwood. You know, so you can, you can make a lot of things with a, with, a, with a cactus. So people like the kadushi. 
Yeah, you go to the market, you ask a little bit of the cactus soup, and you can, you can, you can taste, you know, the, the taste of the, the cactus soup. But you talked about the way they use it, and the cactus is used for many things, and you talked about putting it into a pulp and using that for soup, and then you're left with the heart of the cactus that they use for construction. You're listening to Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, speaking with Fordham University professor Robin Anderson. She's researching ecotourism as well as writing for a travel guidebook, which took her to Coruscant, better known as Caraco. She's here to share all she discovered about this island's rich and diverse culture. Now, Robin Anderson, when you were visiting Carousel, you also got an opportunity to meet a rabbi who has a kosher kitchen. Yes. Tell me about him. He's another example of the incredible diversity that's that's the traditions of Curacao. Um, the Murano uh, Jewish community arrived in Curacao around the 1600s uh, via Spain and Portugal and it's the old, the synagogue there is the old synagogue that's been in use in the Western Hemisphere. The rabbi that we spoke with is part of a, a, an, another community, there's actually two Jewish communities, that came to Corsair in the 1920s, primarily of European Jews, of course. And um, th- his part was an Orthodox community. The first uh, wedding that were, the first major event, mm-hmm. you know, for which this kitchen is actually, this idea was, was all about, mm. to get here, to make Curacao a destination for weddings, bar mitzvahs, and, mm. and other Jewish events, like conferences. And we have our first wedding. It's very exciting. It's going to be our first real big event, putting this whole thing to the test. And uh, it's going to promote not only uh, the Marriott, but promote the Jewish community here. It gives us exposure to uh, the Jewish world. You know, we could uh, definitely use uh, more people down here. A small community. And what did the rabbi tell you about uh, the islands of Coruscant? Well, he, like many people who go there, see the natural beauty. And Coruscant is famous for having so many different kinds of beaches and a number of different um, uh, natural areas. So it's got diversity of landscape uh, and ecosystems and people. Curacao is one of those undiscovered yeah. secrets. Curacao has a lot of history. Mm-hmm. Curacao is the most westernized island in this whole entire area. A lot of offshore banking here. A lot of big companies invest here. Um, you know, it's got natural beauty beyond, uh, you know, really. It's just incredible stuff. Well, imagine our surprise when we looked out of our hotel balcony today and there's a ship, huge boat that looks like it's just right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's really deep yes. off right. the yes. It's a naturally deep harbor yes. and that's why it allows, allows that. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon discussing the research trip Fordham University professor Robin Anderson took to the island of Coruscant. Now, Robin Anderson, when you were visiting Carousel, uh, you met a, a character named Captain Goodlife. <laughs> Tell me what your name is on the island. I'm Captain Goodlife for the tourists. So, how do, how do you live up to that name? Well, it's uh, yeah, it's it's good life what I have here, but it's a lot of work. I mean, uh, I, I I try to make it fun. The name says 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 everything about uh, the way we live here. It's a good life. It's it's honest. It's holy. 
it's nature, and it's nice. Who is Captain Goodlife? Captain Goodlife was a local uh, taxi, water taxi um, destination, really, where you go to a bay called Santa Cruz, and you kind of have to, you know, seek him out a little bit there, Robin. He's kind of over on the bay on the left, and he has a, his, his hand-built house into the in a veranda there, and he'll take you to some secluded locations along the coast. Now, as you can see, you have Dutchess, Chinese, um, Spanish, Colombian, Venezuelan, Americans. They all come here because I think it's, it's the name said it all, the Holy Beach, the Santa Cruz Beach, you know? So that's my motto on the YouTube, on, on the Google, on the, all these website things. You, you, you just go for CaptainGoodLife.com or Captain Good Life, YouTube, Facebook, whatever. I appear there, and it's nice because I never touched a computer before. People who came here, they wrote stories about me, and it seems to be working. So the good work is, the, the word is getting to the people, so it's nice. I'm satisfied. You take people uh, to beaches that are quite remote, where they can be, find some serenity, they can be just by themselves. Yes, yes, yes. Where, where are those beaches, and what do they call well, them? Well, um, 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 when I started this product, the, 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 this business, uh, I had to create stuff. There's a, a ship that's um, sunk just off the coast. In fact, it was his father's ship, and he sunk it. I, sadly, he sunk the ship while his father was still alive. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, he fled the island at one point, but he was welcomed back later because I think he sunk it illegally. <laughs> but <laughs> so he su so he sunk a ship. So, but that's very common. Um, if you want to take divers, uh, you often put something in the water to help the coral grow, and to be a, a an attraction for divers to uh, to see the fish and uh, see all the beauty underwater. Yes. Now, frankly, I don't like to dive sunken ships because I think they're kind of dangerous, but many people do. It's an attraction. But there are some, some nice corals uh, and some little inlet bays along the, uh, the coast from, from Santa Cruz on that part of the island. Did you just go on the boat trip or did you actually dive? Uh, I didn't dive on this trip, but we snorkeled and there were plenty of good things to see snorkeling. What'd they, you see? Well, there were corals just off this little inlet, um, and there were quite a few fish and beautiful corals. The nice thing about Curacao is it still has coral reefs intact. It's a very unusual um, uh, island structure in that it has very deep harbors, and the the, the cool waters that surround the island uh, bring a lot of nutrients up uh, up on close onto the shore, uh, the, which helps the coral stay healthy, uh, and it's... Uh, there's a little bit of competition between Bonaire and Curacao and who has the best diving spots and the live coral reefs. Because um, there are a little bit problems with development and coral reefs at this point in the Caribbean, as you probably know. So, Robin, what's the reason for ecotourism? Well, in studying and, and kind of observing the way that uh, visitors are, are put into the natural world or these beautiful, pristine places, um, we are trying to develop ways in which you can present the information and material not only to have the visitors uh, appreciate the experience more, but to give them a sense of conservation um, and to kind of promote um, respect for the environment. And we're trying to develop models and information uh, uh, communication to do that. So, yeah. Robin Anderson, what happens when a new wave of development comes out? Well, you mean increased hotels, uh, 
um, golf courses. The danger of more development on the islands is if you, you do have some surviving coral reefs. And if you're starting to put large golf courses, um, the chemicals and the, uh, um, the retardants and the fertilizers go right down into the waterways, and they're very hard on the reefs. In some places also, tourists like to demand or, or p tourists are attracted to pure white sand beaches. In some islands, there aren't pure white sand beaches, so they make them. Well, you can put some sand on a beach, but waves will erode that sand and pull it down, and it goes right onto the coral reefs, and coral reefs then will be smothered. So the and then coral... die out, which will affect the, the ecosystem. Absolutely. How does it affect it? It's a symbiotic system of, of two animals, uh, and they're living, and and they need oxygen, and they will, they will, they will be smothered. Also, you've got some bleaching events because of global warming. Last summer, the water got to 87 degrees. Uh, one of the organisms of the coral reefs were, were died off, and there were some, and it, they turn white. That's why they call it bleaching. The health of the coral reefs is very important because with global warming and bleaching, it can come back and it can maintain resilience if it's not covered in sand um, and if it doesn't have a lot of chemicals. So we want to try to preserve the coral reefs. And, and one thing that we'd like to do is educate um, our tourists uh, that this is what they should look for. They, should, they, should, they have to understand that sometimes golf courses and sandy beaches don't go along with coral reefs, that they also want to see and enjoy through snorkeling and, and scuba diving. And that gives hope because it's saying that these areas that have been damaged can come back if we start preserving now. Absolutely, and it's really important for these islands to to understand, and they do that that their what the value that they have of their natural world is what can support their economies, and they just have to protect them. What should travelers look out for when they're trying to go to these hotels and have a good time, but they want to be uh, conscious of the environment that they're in? Right. Everybody is kind of a cliche now, you know, don't use your towel, use your towel twice, you know, and, and we kind of get a little, well, th is that really an environmental initiative? Um, throughout the Caribbean, uh, it has gone through various waves of development, and I believe it's poised for another one. Uh, and what that means is, is that more hotels will be built. Um, some islands are... are much more pristine than others. Some are, some are already quite overbuilt. Curacao is not overbuilt at this point. It's still a very, it has so much authenticity. Do you um, think they did that on purpose to make sure they didn't overbuild to make sure that the environment wasn't harmed? I think it's a history of the island having other industries. It has a whole economy based on shipping. It still has shipping. And, uh, and oil, you're sitting in this beautiful, by the way, we didn't talk about um, Willemstead, which is the capital, which is a UN World Heritage Site because it looks like an Amsterdam canal um, with, with the European architecture, but they're all painted in cheerful Caribbean colors. So it's a magical place. It also has the Queen Emma Bridge, which is a swinging pontoon footbridge so that probably 20 to 30 times a day, this bridge opens up. It like swings forth and a huge uh, cruise ship or oil tanker will go right up this beautiful little canal. So it's a stunning sight to see. 
So Curacao has a lot of things, not just the tourism economy. And the ship traveling is interesting because it would have the waterway would have to be very, very deep. Very deep. And that's why the Dutch originally wanted Curacao and kept it, because it was an international transshipment point. That's why it was also so notorious as a slave trade for the Dutch West Indian country. And it, it uh, company, and it's interesting, uh, one, of the ho- one of the really nice restaurants that overlooks the, um, the canal was going to be called, they, tr- they, they tried to call it the, the Dutch West Indies, and people really didn't like it. So we've got diversity, but when you remind people of this notorious slave trade, there's a little pushback. They didn't want it named that, so they named it the Governor's hotel. But are they very open about, in Carousel, are they very open about their history and, and the good and the bad? Absolutely. That's the, another thing. There's a fantastic museum on Curacao, the Corhulanda, which tells you all about the slave trade and show and, and actually has some of the shackling that people were subjected to. Curacao didn't have a huge plantation because it didn't have the, the uh, water to support the plantation, but Slaves would stay on the island for up to two years being trained to go elsewhere, be house slaves or, or given training. And, of course, many of them died on the, on the ship coming across. So they were, had to be revived, and then they, they added skills and training, and then they sold them for higher prices. So it was a selling point. And all of that is very well documented in the history of Curacao, uh, which, is a, which is refreshing because, you know, we want to know that. Does the museum also talk about the Indian culture there? It it does, and so much apart around the, the Caribbean, the you know the Spaniards came in, and within a few years, the Arawaks and the Caribs were wiped out, and um, it's very hard to talk about that. There were very few people left. One of the things that. Uh, is still contentious, though, and comes out with movies like uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, is that at one point in the film they wanted to depict cannibalism, um, that that the original inhabitants were cannibals. They are very sensitive against that because that charge of Meaning cannibalism. Meaning the movie wanted to depict cannibalism. Cannibalism, and exactly. And the people of Carousel said, no way. That's right. Um, and the other Caribs around the island who are descendants from that other tribe, the Caribs, and they were labeled cannibals. And it was a justification, basically, for wiping them out or, or a justification for, you know, what happened to them. So historically, they were actually considered cannibals, but they weren't, as a people, cannibals. They weren't cannibals at all. The Spanish charged them with that. Oh, so that's the reason why they they wanted to put it in the movie, and the people of Carousel said, no way. Yes. Robin, how was the writing part of your trip to Carousel? You know, writing when you're on assignment is is fraught with with, um, conflict of interest problems, travel writing particularly. I mean, travel writers are notoriously taken to luxurious places and wined and dined in the fanciest hotels and uh, given the, the best meals, and it's hard to maintain your objectivity. Uh, one thing I think is interesting about writing for a guidebook is that we're, we're not being sponsored uh, by the hotels themselves or doing their promotional material, and we're uh, also not in a magazine where you would naturally have commercial pressures from the advertisers. The guidebook structure is, you know, there are 20,000 
readers of Fromer's guidebooks in Canada, the UK, and the US, and they're just looking for you to give them some advice on describe what's out there. And I think uh, writing for the readers um, of a guidebook is uh, is less fraught with that kind of, uh, of conflict of interest than other kinds of travel writing. That's not to say that the travel writer will put something negatively, really negative into a text. Um, you know, travel writing is, it's kind of hard to do the way it's structured. If a visitor to Carousel only had an opportunity to go to one place that you visited while you were there, what would it be or where would it be? Oh, I would definitely say walking around Willemstead. There's so much to see. You can watch the, the bridge open and close. You can watch the boats come in and out. There's museums. Uh, there's an old fort with huge walls. You get a sense of history of what the Caribbean was like, of the of the of the incredible um, historical moments that it's been through. Just hang out in Willingstead. Robin Anderson, thank you very much. You're welcome. It's great to be here. <laughs> My thanks to Fordham University professor Robin Anderson. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook or subscribe to our podcast. Stay with us. George Bodarki and Cityscape are next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Uh, I didn't ask, are you going anywhere else? Well, <laughs> New Orleans and Treme <gasps> oh. is itself fascinating and I was just there and I'm going back on spring break and and you know of course New Orleans I don't think people know but just like how carnival is spread out mm -hmm. there's always something happening yeah New Orleans right mm -hmm. um, but New Orleans is fascinating you know uh, Brad Pitt and uh, and Angelina have uh, bought a huge tract of land just behind the levee that broke on the Ninth oh, Ward. So you've got these environmental, cute, adorable little houses that pe that are subsidized that people are moving back in oh, for wow. 30000 <laughs>